player or you're new to practicing solo, you've got your game plan. Now what? First, know that you're not alone. It's the fastest growing segment of the legal profession. Welcome to New Solo here on the Legal Talk Network, where you'll learn about practicing law solo. Thanks for tuning in to our program today. Before we get started, we want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS 70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. Welcome to New Solo on the Legal Talk Network. Uh, we're glad that you can listen today. Uh, I'm attorney Kyle Gelcher. I'm a solo practitioner from Springfield, Massachusetts. I practice a variety of areas uh, of law, including civil litigation, business law, entertainment law, intellectual property, and consumer law. On New Solo, we're going to talk about all the things you may not have learned in law school if you're a young lawyer and uh, the things you may be facing if you've left a larger firm and now you're starting out on your own or with, or with colleagues in a, in a uh, smaller firm. Today on New Solo, we're going to be talking about managing clients. Joining me today is solo attorney Paul Iman. He is the principal at the law office of Paul Iman uh, Jr. out of Newington, Connecticut. Welcome to New Solo, Paul. I'm going to give you a, a brief introduction here and, and talk about Paul. Um, after law school, he clerked for the Superior Court for the State of Connecticut. Uh, thereafter, Paul worked for a couple of uh, Hartford area law firms. In 2005, he launched his solo practice and he specializes in trust and estates, probate litigation, and criminal law. Uh, when not working, Paul enjoys cycling, golf, and spending time with his family. Welcome, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. And I uh, hope you could also mention I'm about a 35 handicap on the golf course. That's, <laughs> that's, that's good to hear. I, I'm, I'm sure it helps with, uh, with networking and with, uh, with clients. It makes them feel good about themselves, <laughs> how bad I am. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's, let's get right to it, uh, uh, Paul. Um, uh, well before you, you even meet a client, uh, you get a call from someone needing legal services. How can you possibly screen the individual on the phone to ensure that, that they will be a, a good client? Well, Kyle, you need to ask them the right questions. Uh, um, and the purpose of your question is to learn the following. Who they are and who you would be representing. You want to find out their contact information. You want to find out how they, they've learned about you. You want to learn the basic issue that they're calling about, and you want to also learn whether this is an issue for which they really need an attorney, and you want to learn whether or not you're an attorney that can, that can help them uh, on this issue, um, and you also want to get a sense of, do I get a good feeling about the client, and finally, of course, you want to learn whether or not that they can afford your services. And of course, all this is easier said than done. When I first started practicing, it would take me about an hour or so to get to the answers because 
you know, clients want to tell you their life stories. But now I've got it down to about 15 minutes or so, and uh, I know that my more experienced sisters and brothers in the bar have it down to about 10 minutes. Um, it's very hard, though, to get to get to the heart of all those questions within uh, about 10 minutes. Um, I think the key is to control the call and to steer the conversation to the points that you want to that you want to find out. And um, you know, and, and that just that's more of an art form. It takes a lot of work. Um, would you like me to go over some of these? points uh, one at a time and kind of tell you why I think they're important? Absolutely. Please feel free. Okay. Well, I think it's important when you talk, you want to, the first point is you want to find out who they are and who you'd be representing. This is important because often a non-client will call. Um, In the case of my criminal practice, it's often a parent that makes the first call because usually, you know, the elder son or daughter is going to be the client um, and, you know, as many listeners may know, that the majority of criminal offenders are under the age of 25, um, and sometimes with the um, with my probate clients, um, it's a son or or daughter that's making the call because uh, you know their their uh, mother or or father is uh, not in a very good state, and they need their will updated or whatever, and they're and they're not motivated or, or or able to really call me. So I have to be careful about making it very clear to the person calling as to who I will be representing and what I can share with them. Um, so that's that's important. The other thing is their contact information. You want to make this is so easy to overlook. Because a client calls you up, they're excited, they're upset, they're happy, they're unhappy, and it's very easy to just listen to them, but you got to stop them and, and say, you know, hey, who is this I'm speaking to, what's your, what's your address, and what's the best number to get you back at, and is there a work number? Um, that's important, too. And I like to find out how they know about me. Um, if they're a referral, that really helps to qualify them, um, you know, if if it's somebody like Thurston Howell III sends me an estate client, I know that the people that he hangs out with and friends with are probably good-paying clients. Uh, you know, same for attorneys that have sent me good clients in the past. Um, you know, that 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 tells me that pre helps me to pre-qualify my clients. Um, you want to ask them what's the basic issue that they need help on, and rather than just let them go on and and tell you, you know, a half-hour story, it's good to focus them by, by asking them, why do you think an attorney is needed in this situation? That's always a good question. You know, don't tell me about everything that's happened. Don't tell me about your long and tortured relationship with your half-sister. Just tell me about how your half-sister got your mother intoxicated and got her to sign a will leaving everything to her. I mean, that, that's what I want to know. Um, and the other thing is... It, you know, now some, now that clearly would be an issue that where an attorney would be needed. But sometimes the issue being presented is not one for which an attorney is necessary. You know, my you know, and when you come down to it, you say, well, why do you think you need an attorney? You'll say, well, my neighbor's kids won't play uh, with my kids, or you know, I you know, I was given a traffic ticket and I want to fight it to the Supreme Court. I want to sue my employer harassment and an emotional distress uh, inflicted over the last twenty years. Well. Why did you stay with that employer? You know, it's just kind of, you know, there's some things for which you really don't need an attorney. And I know that you can pretty much 
retain an attorney for any reason, but you know, common sense has to rule here. The other thing is, um, you know, I I want to make sure that it's an area of law for which I'm qualified to help them. Um, you know, I do criminal law. I'm very good at handling matters having to do with decedents, estates, uh, will contests. But I don't do banking law. I don't do collections law. I don't do bankruptcy law. And I don't want to have to invest the time in learning these these areas of law, these very complex areas of laws, just for one client. So I'd much rather share the wealth, as they say, and and turn that over to a, a colleague of mine that knows that area of law. And I guess, you know, the other things you want to learn is, you know, do you, do you get a good feeling about the client? Um, that's just a gut feeling that you go for. And, and of course, can they afford my services? Um, and, 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 that's, and that in itself can be a very, uh, can be a very tricky subject to approach but I think if done right, you can you can find out on that first phone call, you can get a pretty good idea of whether or not they can afford your services. How do you know that uh, the client can afford your services? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you don't always find out on the first phone call, but there are often some clues that they'll give you during that phone call that uh, that can tip you off. Um, one one thing is a lot of times if a client is kind of sketchy financially. They'll ask you, "Do you do you do payment plans?" And I say, "Of course. It's called Mastercard and Visa." You know, and then then well, I don't have a credit card. Well, that's a good indicator right there. Not always a definitive indicator, but it, it at least tips you off that there might be an issue with finances. Also, I mentioned earlier that I asked them for a work number, and part of it's because I want to be able to contact them, but also I I want to know if they're employed. Um. And, uh, you know, usually if they don't have a work number, they'll, they'll say, oh, no, I don't have a job, nor I'm looking for work or whatever. Um, the other thing is that I will usually ask for, though not always, but I'll usually ask for an initial consultation fee when I invite them into my office. And a lot of times people that are having financial issues or, or don't have the money to afford an attorney will balk at that initial consultation fee or they'll ask you whether that's necessary or or whatnot. So that's another indicator right there. Um, and kind of kind of going hand in hand with that is when they start asking you if you give free consultations. And 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 I understand. I advertise on on some of my materials that I will give a free consultation. But if somebody calls up and that's that's kind of the focus of the first of the first couple of minutes of the conversation is you know what's going to be free. That's usually a pretty good indicator of. Uh, you know that that the client may not have the means to pay you your fee. Now, sometimes you get through the the conversation and you're still not sure. Um, you know, some clients are very good at kind of hiding their their financial circumstances, and you know they've learned from experience, uh, you know, to do that. And if I'm unsure about whether they can pay or not, I try to come right out and hit them right between the eyes with a money statement. And I'll say something like, "Well, you realize." If I take this case and it goes to trial, you could be spending potentially thousands of dollars in legal fees before it's all over. Is that going to be an issue for you at all? And uh, and sometimes they'll they'll come right out and say, you know what, I you know I only have about two or three hundred dollars, and I you know and and what can we do there? And I say, well, maybe we if you'd like you can come in for a consultation, but I don't think I'm going to take the case. Uh, you know, um, I can charge you two hundred dollars, and we can go over your legal rights, and I can coach you as to how to 
represent yourself in small claims or you know in in whatever appropriate form. Um, but sometimes they'll sometimes they'll say, "Oh no, that's not going to be an issue." But you kind of get a sense that maybe it is. So you say you follow it up with something like, "So you wouldn't have any issue coming up with say a four thousand dollar retainer, right?" And sometimes when you talk about specific figures, they'll say, "Well, you know, yeah, I, I you know, I." I might be able to come up with that after a couple of weeks or, you know, I, you know, maybe within the next few months or and then they might say, would you take a payment plan on that? So that's, that's kind of how you smoke out whether or not they're going to be able to afford your services. And, you know, depending on how much, how much you estimate the services will cost. What are some t- steps you should take before you meet a client? Well, I think that now, I mean, after you've talked to them in the initial client interview, but uh, but before you've actually had the meeting, right? That's correct. They, they call you up and they say, and, and you've spoken with the, the potential client, and you've agreed to at least meet with a client for some sort of discussion. Well, I think that, um, I think it's important that you go over your notes from the initial um, conversation. That's key. Um and then go over any applicable statutes or case law that might be relevant. Um, also, you want the client to show up. That's very important. If you set aside time from your day and the client doesn't show up, it's not fun. So what I like to do is I will send them a notice, um, and that notice will have a, the meeting time. I'll handwrite that in. I have a bunch of them pre-printed. I'll handwrite in, you have an appointment for blank, and I'll fill in the the time and, and date, and then attached to that notice are directions to my office. And so, and I usually also with my criminal clients will send them a questionnaire asking them a lot more about their background because with criminal matters there are a lot of collateral consequences, immigration, welfare, child support, that, you know, a guilty plea um, could impact. And also with some of my estate planning clients, like if they want to come in and do a will, I'll I will ask I will send them a questionnaire and I'll also you know ask them to bring in their their you know latest will their you know that they're updating I'll ask them to bring in some statements some of you know I'll have them fill out an, an asset statement so I know what it is that they're that they're going to be disposing of um in their estate um and I but on a more important level when you give a client work to do there, you're more likely to have a successful first meeting because the client invests in the work, and then you know, they, you know if they spend a half an hour filling out a form, then they're much more likely to think, well, I've already spent all this time doing this. They're much more likely to actually show up and give you the form because otherwise they've just wasted their time. So, kind of on a psychological level, it it, it helps to send them a, some sort of a form to fill out. Um, just to get them emotionally and, and physically invested in, in the process. Could you give an example of something never to do during the first client meeting? Well, I would say, first of all, I, I'm a purist when it comes to how you dress. I like to, you know, I, I, I don't dress casually for the first client meeting. I would, I would say you should uh, always dress professionally and look the part. Um, I try not to be overly familiar with them. I try not to, to chit-chat too much. Um, and, um, and, I, and I would say the other thing, it's just common sense, but you obviously want to be on time. You don't want to 
you know, you don't want to keep your client in the waiting room for 20 minutes, 25 minutes while you're, you know, talking to another lawyer or or taking a phone call or something else. I mean, it's it's I think timeliness is a very important thing. So those are those are three things. Do you do you prefer engagement letters or fee agreements and and why? Well, um I generally prefer engagement letters uh, because when when the person that I'm uh, that uh, is paying for the services is the client because my engagement letters are much more detailed. They talk about specific things that I'll be doing for the client. They talk about this. You know, they they set the tone for the relationship and. Uh, you know, and 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 they they and it's not like a a form too. It's it's it also gives me an opening paragraph where I can sort of greet them and establish rapport with them right away. Hey, thanks for I, I really appreciated our conversation. Um, I enjoyed speaking with you on the telephone and um, about uh, you know your aunt Susan's estate. This is something for which I think you definitely need an attorney, be it me or somebody else. Et cetera, et cetera. But you're, you're able to establish rapport with them. So I do prefer the engagement letter. Now, I do sometimes use fee agreements, and I'll tell you when. I use them when the person that is paying for the services is not the client. Then it's just a very, you know, it's usually a one-page deal. It'll say fee agreement for, and I'll list the, you know, the case number if it's a, you know, if it's a criminal case or a civil case, uh, if it's already in court. Um, and I'll say this is, this is a fee agreement, and I understand I am the responsible party for so-and-so regarding the above-caption case, et cetera, et cetera. And I like to keep those very short and sweet because I don't want to get into a whole lot of client information with the non-client uh, payor. So I, you know, I guess that's, that would be the time when I would, would use a fee agreement. Uh, for someone that has just entered the profession... Um, and may not know a lot about retainers. Why would you want a retainer from a client? Well, actually, you know, I call it, I guess a retainer is the common vernacular. I call it a amount to be held in trust. And I guess the, the um, but, I, but basically you mean an advanced deposit of, of funds that, that you have not yet earned. Correct. Um, so I, the reason that I would like uh, to get an advanced deposit or retainer is because I want to get paid. And I find that, you know, that the easiest bill for clients to not pay um, and is, is a legal bill. Because, and this is especially true when clients have a lot of experience with lawyers because they realize that if there's a dispute over the bill, all they have to do is threaten to grieve the attorney. A lot of times, attorneys will back down, and you know, and and this is this is a common tactic used by clients that don't want to pay their bill. And and you know, I don't think that that's the majority of clients, but they're they are they are out there. And the other thing is too that clients are going through the econ you know the economic crisis just like we are, and and uh, you know it's. Uh, it, it's tough out there, and there's, you know, a lot of bills do. Clients can lose jobs, and, uh, you, you know, you don't want to be in a situation where, you know, something happens in the client's life that's a problem, and now it becomes your problem because you've invested all this time and energy, and you have to sit there and worry about 
whether or not you know you're going to get paid. And uh, I don't think it's fair to the client either, because if you're wasting time and energy worrying about getting paid, then that's time and energy that you could be focusing on solving the client's problems too. So those are the main reasons. We need to take a short break when we return. More with Attorney Paul Mon. Want to stay in touch with Legal Talk Network and get our shows automatically? RSX provides home delivery. You don't have to remember where to click. The good stuff comes to you automatically and free. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and hit the RSS button at the top of the page. It says our podcast feeds. Now you'll be all set. If you like listening to New Solo, you might also like the Unbillable Hour on LegalTalkNetwork.com. So nobody's reading your ads in the legal journals or magazines? Try your marketing with Legal Talk Network. Over 4 million listeners since launch. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and shoot us an email or call us at 781-551-9960. Welcome back to New Solo on the Legal Talk Network. Today we're joined by solo attorney Paul E. Mon. He's the principal at the law office of Paul E. Mon Jr., uh, welcome back, Paul. Uh, Thanks, pal. Let's get right back into it. Is there a best way uh, to communicate that the retainer might not be the total fee for the case? Yes, right in the engagement letter. Put it in there that uh, you and I agree that the retainer that the retainer amount uh, is is probably not going to cover the total cost of legal services. Something something along those lines. And how do you handle a situation where the retainer is exhausted? Well, your your fee agreement or, or engagement letter should have an evergreen clause in it. What I mean by an evergreen clause is it's a clause that um, says, you agree to give me a retainer of $2,000. If the retainer drops below uh, $1,000, if the amount held in trust drops below $1,000, you and I agree that you'll pay any outstanding bills and uh, replenish the trust amount back up to two thousand dollars, and that that that's the way that you cover yourself. Now, sometimes even when you do that, it it doesn't quite get it done. So, um, what you need to do is you need to, if if it doesn't get replenished, you got to ask yourself: Is there some other source of money coming in from which you'll get payment? Like in the in a decedent's estate, there might be a piece of property being sold, or in a real estate transaction, there might be a piece of property being sold. Um, if there is no prospect, though, of any money coming in and they're not paying your bill, um, sometimes you just need to send them a letter saying that if you're not paid within 30 days, you're going to withdraw. And then it's up to the client. Either they'll pay you or you know, and replenish the retainer amount or they'll you know, um, be on their own. When a client is being difficult, and I understand that term can encompass a, a variety of issues, what is some general advice that you could offer new lawyers to help defuse uh, potentially challenging situations? Well, the best advice I can give them is to don't ever take it personally. Clients are under a lot of stress, and um, you know, especially when they've been sued, they're you know they're they've been served by a marshal, they're you know they they start catastrophizing and thinking of all the horrible things that can happen. So this can make them irrational at times. So, but, and, and it's not directed at you 99% of the time. You need to be calm and compassionate. Even if you're a little turbulent inside, you need to project calmness and, and compassion, and you need to 
to let them know that you're the captain of the ship and you're kind of guiding things and that and that they're safe and secure with you with you guiding things and uh you, you don't you definitely don't want to add to their panic and confusion by by ca- catastrophizing on your own um you if if there are issues though where they're complaining about your legal services you want to document these issues you want to uh you know try to talk to them but also talk to them in writing and and on the phone um and if you're not able to work things out, don't be afraid to withdraw. I mean, it happens occasionally. And, uh, you know, you may just find yourself in a bad marriage with a client, and you just need to end it for everyone's sake. And to follow that up a bit, what are some red flags that a client might raise either during the initial interview or, or during the time of oh, representation? That's a very good, that's a great follow-up. Um, I think that... Having other lawyers previously involved in the case tops the list. And I think any anyone that's been practicing for a number of years will tell you that that's always a red flag, especially if you're the third lawyer. And, you know, if you're you know second lawyer, you know, you can understand. But the third lawyer usually there's a pr- the problem is not with the lawyers, it's with the client. Um, I find when clients are overly grateful, you know, um, that 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 can be a problem when they start. You know, saying, "Well, I'm so grateful to have you. You're the you're the best. You're wonderful. God brought me to you. Whatever." I mean, a lot of times they expect God to pay the bills. And uh, the other thing is uh, when they talk about being, you know, when when the client is clearly being vindictive and wants to use you as an instrument of of their vindictiveness, that's a really bad sign. I had a client that had $5,000 cash that they were ready to give me to take on a case involving a dispute that she had with her brother over a trust. And it was a seemed like a very good referral, but I didn't take the case because she was insisting that I serve her brother with papers at his son's bar mitzvah. I was like, no, no way. I'm not taking that case. When a client wants to use your services mainly to vex and harass the other party, run, don't walk away. What are some examples of customer service techniques uh, that, you, that you've used uh, and that clients have really appreciated? Well, I think there's two. When you say customer service techniques, I think there's, there's customer service when the client is still your client. I think that's probably the most important. But then there's also following up with them after the, uh, the matter has concluded. So I, I will talk about first, when, when somebody is currently your client, never, ever, ever let the sun set on an unanswered phone call. An older attorney told me that once, and I've always followed that. That's the number one complaint that attorneys get, by the way, with the grievance panel is, uh, you know, he didn't answer my phone call. She didn't, she didn't respond to my letter. And the other thing is um, try to use clear communication with clients, um, explaining things in a way that they can understand, really simplify things, but... Do it in a way that makes the client feel good about themselves. Say, look, you know, I understand you don't understand the terms of of this will. Most of my clients don't. You're just like them. But let me, so I want to go over all these terms with you so that you understand them. Clients really appreciate it when you take the time to help them through some of the legalese and explain the legal concepts to them without making them feel like like idiots, you know. You you want to respect their intelligence um, as you do it. Now, in terms of customer service, when... You know, when when the matter's concluded, I like to keep in touch with them. I send Christmas cards. Um, I would, you know, I 
I haven't done it, but I've heard uh, attorneys that do blogs and newsletters. That's been very effective for them. I, I, you know, it's funny. When I send out the Christmas cards, I would say right January and February are usually my busiest months by far. And I'd say about half the clients that come to me are either returning clients or people that have been referred by somebody that received a Christmas card. So that's been a huge success for me, and I'm going to do that for as long as I practice. Uh, what is the best piece of advice you have received so far? Best piece of advice in terms of my practice has been to be the happy warrior. And that sounds kind of silly, but um, I I worked for a uh, for an attorney, a very well-known, uh, towering member of the Hartford Bar during law school. And I ran into him after law school, and I was cranking out some research in one of the law libraries, and I looked miserable, because I was. And he says, Paul you got to be the happy warrior. And, uh, and what he means is just enjoy what you do. Enjoy the fight. Enjoy the ups and the downs. Um, you know, you, 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 this is a great opportunity to expand your mind and expand your, your personality and, and, to, and to really do a lot of good. So I think to just enjoy, to enjoy it um, is, and, to, and to really relish being an attorney is, is the best advice I've ever gotten. Well, that about does it for this edition of New Solo. Remember, you can find all of our shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also subscribe to this program through iTunes. And a very special guest, uh, thanks to my guest, Paul Mon, for joining me today. Paul, if someone wants to find more information on today's topic, how can they reach you? Well, um, I'd be happy to talk to any attorneys that want to. They can email me at pmon. Uh, at cox.net. That's uh, Peter, Mary, Apple, Walrus, Nancy at cox.net. So if they want to send me an email, I'll be happy to talk to them about any anything they'd like to talk about. Well, that's wonderful and very courteous of you. Um, and of course, you can contact me directly at kyle at legaltalknetwork.com. We're out of time. I would like to thank our sponsor, Firm Manager from LexisNexis, You can find out more information about Firm Manager at myfirmmanager.com backslash L-T-N. Join us next time for another new episode of New Solo here on the Legal Talk Network. Have a great day, everyone. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to New Solo today. Hope you'll listen to next month's edition with attorney Kyle Gelcher, right here on the Legal Talk Network. And a reminder to check out Firm Manager at myfirmmanager.com forward slash LTN. It's a business solution for lawyers created by lawyers from LexisNexis. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, 
client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.